0: I'm Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lives, a show about conversation, community, and the people that bring community to life. The theme of this week's show is family planning. With me in the studio today is Meg Michalichek. Meg joined the Planned Parenthood of the Heartland and Planned Parenthood Voters of Nebraska teams in January 2016 in the role of lobbyist and staff attorney. Since that time, she has transitioned into the public affairs manager role, which increases her responsibility over the electoral and policy work regarding reproductive health care in Nebraska. She is a graduate of the University of Wisconsin-Madison with dual degrees in anthropology and political science and went on to attend the University of Nebraska College of Law, graduating in 2011. Meg has argued before the Nebraska Supreme Court on behalf of the right of same-sex couples to divorce in Nebraska and succeeded in state and federal court against the state of Nebraska, including acting for landowners' rights against TransCanada regarding the Keystone XL pipeline. In her spare time, Meg enjoys activism and volunteerism uh, with local political campaigns, including her own 2013 and 2015 city council races, and enjoys uh, time with her husband and two daughters. Welcome to the show, Meg.
1: Thank you. Nice to be here.
0: So the theme of uh, today's show is family planning. And it seems surprising in some ways that in the 21st century, family planning should conjure such political and social trepidation. Uh, Why is that?
1: That's a great question. It's one I think about a lot. To me, it's a no-brainer that everyone should have access to... Any health care that they need. And particularly as a woman of childbearing age, I want to be able to control when I have a kid, if at all. And I know I'm not the only woman who feels that way. And so it seems silly that we would want to restrict access to such a basic um, form of health care. And yet we do. And, you know, I thought about it on the way over here, and I just wonder if it largely plays into gender equity and, um, You know, maybe it's subtle, but if women don't have the ability to control their bodies and control when they get pregnant and how often are they ever able to be equal to men who don't have that same responsibility. Um, And when we look at who is largely making these decisions, I can't help but wonder if that is part of it. Maybe something we don't think about or talk about, but if that's part of it. We often hear um, that it's fine for people to have access to family planning, but we don't want taxpayer dollars to go to that, which is silly since we fund all sorts of other types of health care and preventative care, um, and we want Americans to be healthy and to be successful, and family planning, contraception, those are easy things we can give people to help them be successful.
0: The phrase family planning can conjure so many different instant reactions in people's minds when you say those two words together. Mm -hmm. But what is family planning?
1: When I think about family planning, um, from more of a cultural and societal stance, it's really the ability to decide when you want to have children, if you want to have children, and how often and how many uh, birth spacing and all of those sorts of things. What methods you want to use to not get pregnant, um, or you know how you, and when you want to get pregnant. When I think about it from more of a policy standpoint, there's a bill right now before the legislature that would expand access to, and I'm quote, air quoting family planning, but it also includes services like preventative cancer screenings and STI screenings and uh, domestic partner violence screenings. So it can include other types of health care that uh, relate to reproductive health.
0: You know, family planning, uh, it, it can be a much broader uh, concept in, in that case. This is not just about women. This this is about um, men. Uh, it's about marriages. It's about um, individuals who are really just wanting to be attentive to how they go about um, literally family planning.
1: Yeah, and I think it's about being responsible. You know, um, I think sometimes when people think about giving – access to contraceptives, Um, the idea is that, well, people are being irresponsible, but it's really not. People are trying to be responsible about their financial situation at the time. They're trying to be responsible about their health situations at the time. Perhaps they're in a place where they're trying to obtain some sort of education where having a child would prohibit them from completion or their career or other job situation doesn't permit them to have children right now. Um it's really about being responsible to yourself and your other family members and society by being smart about when you decide to expand your your family.
0: To some degree, what we've been talking about relates to the individual or perhaps um, the individuals in relationship with with their family, sort of a, a spouse or or whatever that situation happens to be. Are there any, issues or considerations around family planning that are important at a community level, at a more um, sort of systemic uh, community level?
1: Um, Yeah, I think um, at the individual level we've already sort of talked about, but you can't be a good member of your community and your community is not as strong if people are also not able to actively participate the way that they want. For example, if I have many small children And I don't have excess income and we are struggling to make it through every single month. Am I going to take the time to go vote in the off-cycle spring elections if it means I have to get a babysitter or I maybe have to take off of work or I'm very focused on making sure we have enough income to pay the water bill this month? No. I'm probably not engaging in uh, my community. I'm not, I'm not exercising a voice for my family, which is very problematic. Um, You know, when I think about community service, there's no time for community service if you are, if you're in survival mode, because, um, you know, you're in sort of a cycle of poverty. And I think when we talk about family planning, one of the Um, most important things to focus on is not having people in financial or economic situations that they can't get out of and that they're bringing children into who will then also get stuck and caught up in that cycle. Um, So family planning and the ability to be in control of your family size and when it occurs can really... um, ensure that you have some of those opportunities to be a better community member, to make sure your children have the opportunity to be um, able to obtain the education that they want so that they can become better community members and that everyone has the ability to stay healthy um, and be members of society that actively contribute and participate
0: what are good practices for family planning uh, providers to offer for their community? And, and the reason why I'm saying that is because I don't think it really matters whether it's Planned Parenthood or, or, right. or your doctor or some other um, medical clinic. I'm just wondering, what are good practices for family planning you know, advice and counseling and resources in a community?
1: Sure. Um, yeah, exactly. It doesn't have to be Planned Parenthood. I'm partial, of course. But Our practice and our standard is the care and the services need to be judgment-free. They need to be medically accurate. We need to give all options to our patients, and um, we need to be open and honest and unbiased. We need to make sure people feel comfortable talking about their individual situation and that they have the uh, ability and feel empowered to make decisions that are best for their circumstances at that time. So, there are some health centers, and I'm putting health centers in air quotes. There are some businesses that hold themselves out to do um, some of these things, but they come from it um, or come at it from a very judgmental, one option only um, sort of standpoint. And of course, we don't think that that's best practice. Um, You know, at Planned Parenthood, we see any patient who comes to us, regardless of zip code, ability to pay, um, and some. Some um, health centers can't do that or, or don't do that, and that's okay, too. But our position is everybody should have access to health care, regardless of who they are. And so to me, that is the best practice. Um, but, of course, that's not an economic reality for some businesses either. Um, but I really think focusing on the non-judgmental aspect of this is, is important, um, making people feel comfortable that they can really open up and talk to their healthcare care provider about what's going on with them,
0: What are some of the uh, maybe myths and misconceptions that surround the topic of family planning, Um, and maybe whether related to Planned Mm -hmm. Parenthood or or even just generally?
1: Yeah, you know, there is this belief. um, In Nebraska, I have found it. I'm not from Nebraska originally. And so when I moved here, I had to sort of learn this. And I'm not sure I've learned how to gracefully sort of talk about it. So I'm going to, you know, stomp my way through it, I guess. Um, But we have a lot of Catholics in Nebraska, and the Lincoln Catholic Diocese is very strict and conservative about what family planning methods are acceptable, and they really don't believe in use of contraceptives. And it can be very challenging to provide comprehensive and uh, meaningful access to family planning when you have a very um, vocal group in the state advocating against the very health care you're trying to deliver to people. It's a misconception that Catholics don't use contraceptives. We know that they do. Uh, we know that al- most people at some point in their lives use some sort of contraception to prevent the spread of disease or prevent getting pregnant. I think there is a myth that, you know, the pill causes cancer. And so there's, I've heard this before at legislative testimony, Um, that the pill causes cancer and it's not natural. But so we have inflated these risks associated with contraceptives, and then those same groups push, you know, natural family planning, which is really kind of the rhythm method and measuring your mucus and all this stuff, which is fine if, if that's what you choose to do. But most people aren't going to do that or can't do that and deserve to have access to healthcare. So I think I to try to clean that up a little. The myth is that contraceptives are bad for you, and so you shouldn't use them. And that's just simply not true. It's not founded in fact. There's no, you know, there's not medical data that um, supports that. There have been some problems with some of the um, over the counter, like the the pill, um, and there have been some lawsuits with that, of course. But that's true of any medical, yeah. You
0: know. So speaking about some of the truths in. Let me posit one, and you can tell me as the expert okay. in the field. Um, I believe it's pretty well established that something like, um, you know, forms of contraception, say condoms or something like that, are good at mitigating the spread of STIs. Those sorts of things. You know, many communities are, uh, have high rates. Omaha is one of those that has somewhat high rates of STIs, and so we need public health interventions that that promote healthy um, individual practices and and good public health community practices. So that would be one truth I would offer. And I wonder if there are other things that, when we talk about family planning, they were just good practices.
1: Yeah, I mean, condoms are one of the easiest to obtain effective ways to prevent the spread of disease and pregnancy. Um, and actually, you know, I, some of my interns were doing a sex ed project where they were looking at what young people are learning in schools around the state of Nebraska. And um, There was one report that during someone's sex ed, they had heard that actually don't use condoms because they're not always effective, which, sure, they're 98% effective, so 2% of the time, maybe they're not, but if you don't use one, that's not effective at all, right?
0: That's 100% ineffective. (laughs) Exactly,
1: exactly. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I think, yes, we should... Always make sure young people actually have education in the first place and, and that adults and everybody has access to real information, but then also access to things like condoms. Long-acting reversible contraceptives, which are short, or shorthand are called LARCs. Um, have been amazing. Uh, It's IUDs and the implant, and they last for several years. And we just saw in Colorado uh, a few years ago, they implemented a plan where they made them really accessible to people. And not shockingly at all, unintended pregnancy rates fell, I believe, 41%. Because, of course, if you have something that is long-acting but reversible uh, that prevents pregnancy... You don't get pregnant, and it's, it's easier to use than the pill because the pill does require you to take it at a certain time every single day. Uh, it requires you to go to your pharmacy and pick it up every month or two months or three months, whatever schedule you're on. It requires more doctor visits, that sort of thing, but also can be very effective, although there's that user error that I just sort of hinted at. So there are a lot of different really effective ways that we can prevent pregnancy. Now, of course, larks and the pill don't also prevent against STI spreading, which is why condoms are still crucial and very important. Um, Now, I don't remember your question because I got all excited about larks. but, (laughs) um, But yes, those are some facts about contraceptives that we know.
0: You are listening to Lives. We'll be back after the break. week's show is family planning. With me in the studio today is Meg Michael You mentioned the word education and that makes me also think about emotionally mature, um, non-prurient, just um, effective, uh, matter of fact, but also sensible and emotionally wise educational practices. And I wonder what role, um, whether that that's the obligation of the schools, or that should be society and parents, or if that is the responsibility of um, external medical providers, or or if it's really all of these things coming together just to provide teenagers, uh, and we've all been teenagers, so we know that you know <laughs> we we enjoy life as teenagers, um, that we can we can be equipping them with just sound awareness.
1: Yeah, I think it's everybody's responsibility. I would like to see more of it in schools and. Um comprehensive education in schools, not just, you know, here are some body parts. Here's what happens. Don't do it. You know, that doesn't work. Like you said, teenagers really enjoy life. And they also, as someone who was one knows, uh, they don't think long term all the time. They think right now. So if we can make sure people understand some of the realities of reproductive health care and have access or know how to get access to family planning measures to make sure that they are safe and um, protected from things that they don't want to have happen to them, then I think we're doing our job. I have a stepdaughter and, and a small daughter at home. If I wasn't in my role... I don't know that I would be equipped from my time in school and getting sex ed to teach them everything they need to know. So I think relying only on parents puts a lot of burden on parents, particularly if they never got good education. Or maybe that's not something they feel comfortable talking about their kids with, or at least talking comprehensively with their children um, about. So it, it's on all of us to make sure everybody has access to this information. My sister's a teacher in Wisconsin, and she called me over the weekend and was saying she has to teach uh, sexual reproduction in her biology class, but she's not actually allowed to talk about sex in her biology class. So she tells them everything up to that point and then has to dance around the rest of it, and she can't talk about prevention of pregnancy. She can't talk about contraception. She can't talk about any of those things in her classroom, which seems like a huge missed opportunity
0: you know, often when we talk about family planning, I wonder if the first person that springs to mind is gendered as a woman. There are a number of reasons, I think, why that that is the case. Um, but maybe speak a little bit to why men should be attentive to family planning. And perhaps some of the resources that they can avail themselves of so that they can be proactive, and take control for themselves of their own family planning decisions.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I we have 941 male patients, or we did last year, um, at Planned Parenthood. So certainly we're a resource. There are other health centers around the state of Nebraska, federally qualified health centers and uh, private practice that offer counseling about family planning and what that really means. Um what the risk of having unprotected sex is and how you can make sure you and your partner are practicing safe, responsible, you know, sex. Those are things that men can and should go get the education on and, um, you know, have condoms. That is an easy, responsible thing men of reproductive age or sexually active men can do. The other thing I want to say is in our sex ed curriculum, When it's not the comprehensive best practice, sometimes we have some sex ed programs across the state called weight training. And I believe it's why am I tempted? I I think that's what it is. And I've heard, again, from these great interns of mine um, that one of the things sometimes these educators will say is, you know, a woman's brain is like a noodle, so she should not have sex before marriage because she can't compartmentalize all of the things, the emotions, the stress that may come along with it. But a boy's brain or a man's brain is like a waffle. And so he has the ability to deal with some of these things, these emotions and and whatever, uh, better, which I think it speaks to your point that we think about family planning and we think about all the responsibility being on the woman. And we also sort of act as though men don't have any responsibility or they can we, – we have this double standard. And we started at a very young age in our society where, you know, if women have premarital sex, they either get too emotional and can't handle it or they are sluts or whatever the term may be, um, however we want to think about it. But they're not praised, certainly. And then if you are a young person who is a man, you know, you've got you've got a waffle brain. You can compartmentalize that. So you just go do whatever you need to do without consequence. And we've got to stop having that conversation for sure.
0: So I'm assuming that there is absolutely no medical uh, foundation of repute that would assert that uh, women's minds are noodles and <laughs> men's are waffles. No. And therefore... <laughs> <this> <laughs> Good to know. Check. Yes, okay. yes,
1: none that I've ever heard of, actually. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah.
0: So, from your history and your bio that I read at the top of the show, it's clear that you have uh, a, a passion for and uh, uh, experience in civic engagement. And so, where does that come from?
1: I have no idea. Um, It's just been part of who I am for a long, long time. Uh, My great-grandfather ran for Arkansas House of Representatives a long, long time ago, and that side of the family has always very much encouraged civic participation and engagement. Um, They were really instrumental in me pursuing my passions in college, and I... I was a John Kerry intern, if anyone remembers when he ran, and um, being involved in local politics um, and making sure that everyone has a voice in the political process. I think that's something I've become more and more focused on as I've realized over the years how disenfranchised some people and some communities really are. Um, But certainly going to law school as well has helped fuel some of that passion
0: You occupy a difficult role, and I don't need to talk about uh, one's political uh, standpoint to be able to say with certainty that simply working for Planned Parenthood is one that puts you in a difficult position uh, on occasion. And I wonder how in that case you look after yourself. How are you able to uh, embrace some self-care so that despite the trials and tribulations maybe that you encounter on the, uh, in the legislative lobby or in the press, perhaps in your neighborhood, and your communities, how do you embrace self-care so that it doesn't get you down?
1: Well, and in this environment in particular, we're, we're at a time right now that is sort of unprecedented um, because it's not just Planned Parenthood that's under attack. It's everything. You know, it feels – some days feel almost insurmountable with all of the attacks that all sorts of people are under. Um, I run a lot. I've started doing um, these like boot camp classes, which I'd always been too scared to do. But it's a really great way to get rid of all sorts of negative energy and to also sort of deal with the fact that I am stress eating like never before, right? Um, So trying to just stay healthy and give my mind a place to wander for an hour while I'm doing something really sort of stress relieving. Um, But it's really hard. It's been really challenging. We have had a lot of support come out, which I think surrounding yourself with people that support the work you're doing and and love you can be really great and really um, energizing. And But then, you know, we're under attack all the time. And so... Also knowing when you just need to take a day away. And I did that recently and it was great. I just read a book for fun. Sometimes you just have to read fluff and I did and I felt a little guilty, but it was mostly lovely. Um, But yeah, surrounding yourself with people that appreciate the work you're doing and are willing to stand with you and fight with you I think is important too.
0: So the theme of this week's show is family planning. Mm -hmm. And as we draw to a close, is there anything? that you would just want to share with us regarding family planning?
1: Well, you know, I would say LB-120 is a bill at the legislature right now that seeks to expand who would qualify for federal dollars for family planning. And it's a really amazing opportunity because when we invest as a, as a government or a society in family planning, we also greatly reduce um, the amount of tax payer dollars that have to be invested in other um, government programs. If someone is able to not get pregnant when they don't want to and therefore finish their education or get a good paying job, uh, what have you, and not go on to government assistance, that is saving us money. They have a better outcome in their life, are able to give their children, if they decide to have children, better outcomes, and we just save so much money. For every dollar the government invests in family planning services, we save $7. And if we were to expand it in Nebraska, we would save about $40 million every year. And we have a really, really problematic budget deficit right now. It would help if, if we were to expand this family planning access, we would be able to better cover other types of health care benefits and services that the state of Nebraska provides like maternal health coverage, which is something we all believe should be covered. Um, So it's not just something that is socially responsible, something we should all do because everyone should, as a right, have bodily autonomy and access to quality health care. It's something we should do because it's also fiscally responsible for everybody in our state and in the country. Um, It just makes sense from so many different standpoints. So. You know, it's something that Planned Parenthood is going to provide, regardless of what happens, because our doors are going to stay open. And it's something that all of our other health centers are going to keep working on, because it's something that everybody, most everybody, wants and needs.
0: I've been in conversation with Meg michael from Planned Parenthood of the Heartland. Meg, thank you for coming in today. Thank you so much for having me. You are listening to Lives. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back to Lives. I'm Stuart Chittenden and this is Dialogue, that part of the show where I am joined in the studio by some guests to talk broadly about the show's theme. The theme this week is family planning. With me today is Marion Fay and Jordan Del Mundo. Marion's hobby for the past six years has been advocating for the rights of all students and families as a member of the OPS Board of Education. Professionally, she advocates for the arts and humanities in Nebraska. Personally, she advocates for her four children. Marion's pronouns are she, her, hers. Hello, Marion.
2: Hello, Stuart.
0: Jordan is the Executive Director of Nebraska AIDS Project. He earned his BA from Creighton University and later earned a Master of Social Work and a Master of Public Administration from the University of Nebraska at Omaha. At Nebraska AIDS Project, Jordan focuses on oversight of administration, programs, fund development, community engagement and strategic direction for the entire statewide agency, as well as federal and state HIV-AIDS policy, and the social determinants that surround HIV, AIDS, STIs, and other public health issues. Hello, Jordan. Hello, Stuart. Uh, So the theme is family planning, um, and I have to say that typically when when that phrase is used, uh, and maybe it's just the fact that we've had a very, very long election, but I hear the phrase family planning and instinctively... My head goes towards the idea of contraception and pregnancy and abortion. And yet the topic is so much broader than just that. Family planning, to me, should be a much wider expression of of so many things that, that have determined the existence of the human species for so very, very long. Do you have similar reactions when you hear people say family planning?
2: I probably should have before I had four children. Had thought of uh, all of those broader implications because they're very expensive, but, uh, and it's a long term commitment. More people should think about that before they have children.
3: Yeah, uh, I would agree with you, Stuart. My initial reaction is, you know, this is kind of semi related to work. So it's like, boom, you know, thinking about access to care and contraception and teen pregnancy prevention and all that kind of stuff. But it's, you're correct in saying that. Family planning is a much broader thing. And I think at the root of it uh, is self-determination. Uh, and then to also hop on with, with Marion is saying, it's also having as much information as possible so that you can make a good decision for whatever it is you want. You know, family planning should be neutral to me. Uh, you can plan one way or the other or another or another the way that you prefer. Uh, I think a lot of times now family planning is automatically associated with, um, you know, birth control, contraception, abortion, and and we know how much those things are demonized in our, our country today.
2: You know what else we can do? We can stop stigmatizing and demonizing the experts in some of these areas. I know when we were trying to pass comprehensive sex ed uh, at OPS, it was repeated uh, more than once by staff at the district level, administration, that we would never hand out condoms and the Omaha public schools. And I kept saying, why? Why would we never hand out condoms when they so clearly are effective for so many things? Besides preventing teen pregnancy, also preventing transmission of STIs. We also said we would never let Planned Parenthood through the doors of the Omaha Public Schools to help educate kids. Why not? They're the experts. That's what they do. Let me tell you a little story, if I may. If you'll indulge me for a second. When I was in sixth grade, I attended the Girls Club in Tucson, Arizona. Boys went there too. I don't know why it was called the Girls Club, but it was the Girls Club. It's hip. It was hip back, this is the late 70s. And one of the things we did was... um, took a field trip to Planned Parenthood. And I came home with a bumper sticker that said love carefully, which I still have, which is pretty awesome. And I also remember thinking, okay, this is a place you go to get information. And when many years later, I found myself needing some information. The first place I went was Planned Parenthood in Kansas City, Missouri. Went over there um, on Trust and went to Planned Parenthood to get the information that I needed as a, as a young woman.
0: Uh, of course, this is a show about conversation too, and why don't I do air quotes and capitalize the conversation, uh, which of course is that tortured moment where uh, one encounters one's uh, sweating father if you're a son, or or uncomfortable mother I assume if if you're a girl, and they talk to you about. Um, being careful and not finding oneself in the family way uh, before before one has actually planned for it. Did either of you have that conversation?
2: Well, as a daughter, I will say no one had that conversation with me at home. I definitely had it from school and um, from some of the after-school programs that I was a part of and uh, definitely heard it. However, at 22 years old, I found myself in a family way uh, unmarried, um, and chose to have the baby, um, who's 25 now. And because of that experience, um, I was very open with my children. Uh, it was not uncommon once my, my my first two children are boys, and they're just uh, 18 months apart, and it was not uncommon once they got into high school to hear me say, if you feel the love, wear a glove. How about just uh, keep the barn door closed? Although I knew that that was probably not realistic at a certain point, but we would say it anyway. Um, When my oldest son went away to college, uh, I, I really was unclear whether or not he was sexually active, but it didn't matter to me. I just said, here's the condoms. Um, when you run out, I don't care what time of day or night it is. If you call me, I will transfer money into your bank account and you will go to Walgreens and you will buy some because I don't ever, ever, ever want not having money in your account to be a reason that you don't go and pick up condoms. And I told that to uh, both boys, the, the two older boys, and then you know very open conversations with my daughter um, who took her own family planning, um, took responsibility for that at a really early age and has has uh, continued to be very open with me and, and responsible, I will say, in that, in that arena. And then we have those same conversations with my youngest son, who's 18. So they were, for me, and I think, I also want to thank the public schools for starting this conversation as well. Uh, for me, those conversations weren't uncomfortable. They were just um, honest, um, informational, funny, um, interesting, and, and have allowed my kids and I to, ha- to continue to have very um, open relationships around uh, any issues, questions, problems that, that might come up around their sexual health. So, and that's really, I mean, when we're talking about family planning, that's another aspect of it is, is your sexual health, um, not just physically, but mentally as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm.
3: So I grew up, you know, I'm a, uh, I, it, it, either a first generation, depending on your definition, American. Uh, I consider myself second generation. My parents moved here. Therefore, they were the first generation and I'm the uh, person who's born here. So devout Catholic Filipino immigrants. Uh, and so I was I was very uh, very uh, hungry for information as a child, so I kind of educated myself a lot. Uh, and I was wondering what the conversation would be like with my parents. Thankfully, my mom and her sisters are very were very progressive people. Uh, and so they had conversations with me and never really no, nothing long and awkward and weird. It was just straight up. Hey, this is cool. Just, you know, if you have questions, you know, they normalized it. So it was, it was something it was easy to talk about. Uh, and then from there, you know, I, th- I think for me, it was just something that I could easily access information on or ask, ask family or some of my older cousins. Um, and that just kind of led to the place now where I'm the director of a place that does sexual health type things. So.
0: I remember my schooling And one aspect of our health education classes that really sticks with me has nothing to do with uh, the technical, the functional, the physical aspects of uh, family planning, but much more to do with the emotional side of things. And I can still remember the teacher uh, and his deep and thoughtful approach to the obvious emotional immaturity of all these uh, teens in front of him, including me. And it was quite remarkable. And I'm glad you mentioned, Marion, that idea of the emotional preparation that needs to happen to be able to think about planning for a family. And typically when we're talking about family planning, often we're talking about um, teens with worry, uh, people who uh, perhaps are in their 20s and maybe thinking about what does life have for them ahead. And then perhaps in their 30s, it's maybe thinking about family planning in terms of worrying about health implications. Um, but I don't know that we talk so much as a community about the m- emotional implications of planning for families. And I I, I wonder if this is a feature of uh, both your professional or your uh, personal experiences?
2: I think definitely um, an aspect of that is in the standards that were adopted by the Omaha Public Schools, uh, the new comprehensive sex ed standards that were adopted last spring. I think that is addressed to a certain extent, um, probably more in high school than anywhere else, but it's probably yet an an underrepresented area. other than um, getting back to the moralistic and, and it becoming more a conversation about right or wrong and heavy layers of guilt in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that that's where it becomes a difficult... You, you actually presented it very well and the, the nuanced part of the conversation that keeps guilt out of it, but that's difficult to have in a school setting, Um and it's also difficult to have when the message from much of society, Jordan brought up his um, you know, religious upbringing, that there's so many messages of guilt that are a part of that. And that's really hard to weed out of that, um, the emotional health part mm-hmm. of the conversation about family planning.
3: Mm-hmm. And we are, you know, just now, 2017, we are still in that process of, truly understanding that the emotional component of everything is very important. You know, we're, we're still in the, in this process of transitioning from this very patriarchal, you know, kind of male suck it up, uh, you know, emotions are weak kind of thing to truly understanding the strength behind, uh, dealing with people's emotions and understanding, uh, emotions and what that can lead to for just your general health and what that can mean for your life. Um, and yeah, you know, uh, on Marian's point about you know generations of uh, guilt or anything, um, those those kinds of social conventions and things they take a long time to truly work through and process. And for progress, we just have to continue to have these conversations and showing that this is something that we should be approaching because it's better for everybody.
2: I come from a long line of women who. Um, ha- conceived children out of wedlock it goes way back um in my in my family and my grandmother so that's only two generations ago actually had to you know one of those people who had to sign her name upside down in the church bible so uh there's you know just weird things like that to indicate that there was a child born out of wedlock so or conceived out of wedlock so that's not very long ago
0: social norms and conventions is quite powerful so I think about again the phrase family planning but it makes me wonder what is a family and the idea of what a family is I would suggest has been challenged markedly over the last 20 years and maybe more publicly over the last 20 years because how we think about family has a long pedigree of um normality, however you define that, or deviancy, however that that is defined. But when I think family, I guess I'm a creature of my own culture and I have to check myself because family to me typically means the mum and dad that I have and the sister that I have, and it's very white and English and, and uh, working class. And So that's the first thing I think, and it takes me a little bit of effort to correct that. And I, I wonder if part of the work of... of social harmony for this community and other communities for this century is reconfiguring what it means to be a family.
2: Certainly other cultures, I'm glad that you brought up your own uh, cultural background because certainly other cultures, Native American cultures, for example, have an entirely different view about what it is to be family that's probably a lot more healthy than this Western European um, kind (laughs) of puritanical view that we have.
3: So, you know, I'm Filipino, so Filipino culture, just a quick aside, uh, I have uh, aunties and uncles and cousins that I'm pretty, pretty damn sure are not related to me whatsoever. Uh, It's just one of these things where family, at least in my experience growing up here, is more about who you choose to be your people. Um, And the people that are, you know, that are just close to you that you've been through things with that you've shared that you've connected this there's this term that's been going around the last i don't know five ten years chosen family i think that is reflecting that is that hey this person uh maybe it's your college roommate or your high school best friend or whatever um just through your shared experiences is closer maybe uh than your, your your brother or sister just because you spent so much time together, uh, and I also like that idea of chosen family because that gives you a little, um, a, a little autonomy in with your direction and helping define who you are as well.
0: Marin, you have in your bio uh, the pronouns. Uh, uh, let me repeat these here: uh, she, her, hers. Tell me a little bit more about about that.
2: I started adding those to my bio. Uh, when Jordan asked me for a copy of, of my bio when um, I was doing something with the Nebraska AIDS Project. And it seemed like a relevant piece of information to, for a bio that was going to the Nebraska AIDS Project. Uh, but since then, it's just become something I add um, as a standard line. I think that it, uh, to use Jordan's term, it normalizes um, a question around gender identity and um, takes out anyone having to assume anything. I actually look for it when I see other people's bios, and I'm seeing it more and more um, come across, whether it's uh, in social media or in someone's signature line on an email. Um, And I also understand uh, in the course of normalizing someone's preferred gender pronouns that they may change over time. And I think that that's something that's uh, important for people to be aware of.
0: This, this doesn't put me in a good light, uh, so let me confess that up front. Uh, so last year I uh, met someone who, to all uh, appearances, as far as I could tell, was uh, female gendered. Uh, but it became clear he preferred to be identified as, as male And which was fine, but every now and again, I I found myself referring to him uh, in the female gender. And there was a small piece of me that just got irritated, to be honest with you. And I'm wondering if if that's maybe a a common response of people that just find it confusing and difficult or just stumble over um, their inability to respond thoughtfully, but just respond to what they see or or experience if if that's a typical response and and how we can perhaps move past uh, move past those situations and perhaps um find it more natural to respond to people in the way they want to be responded to
3: this is just general generalization but i i, I imagine that is kind of a typical response but my response to that is um if it's something that you are learning how to do. You know, a lot of times, the first time we try to do things, we aren't always perfect at it. So I would encourage you to keep keep trying. Um, I think what you did there was exactly what you should do. You ask. You learn. Uh, uh, you know, I, I'm i guilty of that sometimes, too. The best thing to do is just to apologize, learn, move on, do better. Um, and, you know, your, your, your intention there is to understand. Uh, and I think, you know... We, we get there.
2: I, I couldn't have said that better myself. That I, I think your self-awareness and your willingness to learn is all a part of the evolution of this conversation. Um, the problem is when people refuse to learn and when people refuse to um, question their own uncomfortableness With it, and you think back to the terms throughout history that have been used to identify uh, cultural groups, racial um, identification with all kinds of phrases that we don't need to go into here because we all know what they are and how well. And uh, you know, one that was very common when I was a child was to refer to Oriental people, and now of course, you know, we Oriental is a rug these are Asian people, so um, are people of Asian descent or, um, you know, these are, but it's a matter of continuing to learn and not being um, afraid to ask questions. Um,
3: You know, for that person you encountered, um, the, the pronouns they choose for themselves gives them agency, gives them the ability to define who they are. And in so, by not being able to just, you know, to, while you're struggling through Getting it, nailing it, just right. You recognize that you're dinging that a little bit. You know, if someone, uh, you know, would just would call you Joe, you know, and that's not your name, dude. That's not my name. You know, those kinds of things.
0: So all of this suggests that perhaps the broad idea of family planning, uh, taking that concept super wide and not just focusing on the practicalities of um, contraception and birth control and these kinds of things that that we've mentioned before. But the the idea of family planning is a flexible one, it's an adaptable one, and it's one that is evolving constantly over time as perceived in the particular social context that it, it exists. So is that something we should be attentive to? Should we as a community, any community, be attentive to what family planning means to us and how we should question the social norms that maybe no longer do apply or are changing around us, and we should rethink what family planning means in, in this community.
2: Well, certainly the opposite wasn't working very well. Yeah. Not talking about it, stigmatizing it, sending um, unwed mothers away, Um back alley abortions, I mean, none of these things were working very well. So to constantly evolve and broaden the conversation, as you said, is seems to me to be a much more productive way to go about it and a way to continue to have the desired outcome of what we started out the conversation with, being thoughtful and having information. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm interested Uh, if we were to do a broader poll of the public, would they have the same reaction to the term family planning as, Stuart, you started with, or that I shared, my initial reaction? Or is it a word that is more neutral to a lot of people? I think because of the sphere that I work in, I I hear family planning represented more as uh, because uh, it's been demonized. But I wonder, is it a neutral term or is it not? I just think that I'd, I want more perspective on that, because if it is um, or if it's becoming that, we should have let's do all that. Con- let's have more conversation, um, because that's that also comments on, you know, it's, it's those are neutral words to me. They don't indicate one way or the other. Uh, it just tell you know, if you take them at face value, that should just mean, OK, that's your family unit. You're working on figuring out what you want to do.
0: We've been in dialogue, and I'd like to thank Jordan Delmundo and Marion Fay for being here today. Thank you.
3: Thanks, Stuart.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: That's the end of this week's show. The sound engineer was Dalimar Mctizik. Behind-the-scenes management was provided by the magnificent Marion Fay. Lives is a production of Squish Talks. Join me next week for more conversation, community, and the people that bring community to life. I'm Stuart Chittenden.